0: As we continue in this Advent season, we gather to give thanks for God's gracious gift. God in flesh comes as the image of the Invisible Father. Israel's waiting for the Promised One. It's not a time to celebrate, but a time of sorrow and mourning. Rebellion has led to exile, captivity, oppression, and pain. But God has promised that the day is coming when his people will sing— And dance, for the coming of God will mean joy for his people and the whole world. On this second Sunday of Advent, we light this candle in a spirit of joy, because we know that God's presence is a reason to celebrate who he is and the fulfillment of all he has done through the birth of his Son. Dear God, on this second Sunday of Advent, let his light shine brightly as the days grow shorter so that we will be ready for your face to shine upon us at Christmas. In the Savior's name we pray. Amen.
1: Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together.
2: centuries old.
1: anticipation for you. Help us as we wait to live lives that are ready to be
0: used by you as you bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, The nations will rally to him, and his resting peace will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamathan, from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah, from the four quarters of the earth. Ephraim's jealousy will vanquish and Judah's enemies will be destroyed. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah nor Judah hostile toward Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of Philistia to the west. Together they will plunder the people to the east. They will subdue Edom and Moab and the Ammonites will be subject to them. The Lord will dry up the gulf of the Egyptian sea with a scorching wind He will sweep his hand over the Euphrates River. He will break it up into seven streams so that anyone can cross over in sandals. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria, as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
3: A couple things I want to mention to you uh, this morning. Uh, one is an insert in your bulletin about Wednesday night. We're having a family event night, and we're going to go Christmas caroling. We've set up a number of homes in the area to go to. It's just a fun time together. When we're done, we'll come back to the church and have some uh, cocoa and cookies. Uh, there, if you obviously you want to dress warm, bring a flashlight if you have it. I think we're also providing glow sticks. So if nothing else, that's fun. Uh, so you know, so uh, you know, we uh, we would love to have you be a part of uh, this gathering Wednesday night. Probably about. 6:15 to 7:45 or so, something like that. Um, it's a great opportunity to just bring a little bit of cheer to some uh, folks who may not be able to get out all that much, uh, but also just to enjoy time together. So Wednesday night here in the sanctuary at 6:15. The other thing is, this is the day when we are collecting our jars for our Matthew 8:20 initiative. This project to help refugees. And so we want, if you brought your jar, just dump it in one of the baskets. There's one up here, a couple in the back. If you forgot your jar, you can bring it uh, next Sunday, or if you happen to be down to church sometime, just drop it off the office, uh, dump it out. But we want you to keep your jar and pick up another booklet this morning. They're on the back table. This is the, we're going to do this one more time, one more, uh, 12 more weeks. And so we have a third booklet, and pick that up. And there's a reading and scripture prayer for every week. Uh, for the next 12 weeks, and we're just asking everyone to contribute $1 uh, a week and to put that in your jar. It's really, it's about the money in one sense, but it's really about awareness. And it's about uh, engaging ourselves with refugees, with people whose lives are difficult and beyond difficult in many cases, and so many experiences that they are going through. And so we want to support them, love them, care for them, and, um, and be a part of, of helping them as uh, agents of God's grace. Uh, let me invite you now to uh, take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning.
2: That could be okay. Good. Hello. Guys,
3: I suspect everybody has uh, some favorite Christmas songs that you like. Some of them might be uh, old, some of them a little newer. Maybe you have uh, some favorite songs that are uh, religious and some that are not, that uh, just are about the the joy and the, the fun of this holiday season. Probably a little over 20 years ago, I I, I heard a song that was written by David Foster and uh, Linda Thompson Jenner, that um, the first time I heard it, it just grabbed me. And and it's become one of my favorites. It's been recorded by a number of artists. I think probably the most popular might be uh, recorded by Amy Grant. But um, it, it, it goes like this. Do you remember me? I sat upon your knee. I wrote to you of childhood fantasies. Well, I'm all grown up now. I still need help somehow. I'm not a child, but my heart still can dream. So here's my lifelong wish. My grown up Christmas list. Not for myself but for a world in need. No more lives torn apart. The wars would never start and time would heal all hearts. And everyone would have a friend and right would always win. And love would never end. This is my grown-up Christmas list. That song speaks. <laughs> I think that song speaks to something deep in us. I may mean, not agree with all of this stuff about Santa Claus and all that this stuff, but. There is this sense in our hearts that we want the world to be different. You know, wouldn't it be awesome if no more lives were torn apart? That wars wouldn't start and that hearts would be healed and that everyone would say, I have a friend who, is, who I know I can count on. I mean, There's something in us that wants that kind of world. And I think we want that kind of world. And I don't don't think wanting that kind of world is limited to people who are Christians. I think that it's a wider kind of perspective because God put that desire in our hearts when he created us. God didn't make us for chaos and war and conflict. He created us for relationship, for peace. He created us as beings in this world for, who, would, who would love one another and care for one another. He created the world to be a place of safety and love. It's our sin that messed all that up. And we've been living with the consequences of that since back to the Garden of Eden. And from that time, we have been trying over and over and over again to fix it. We sing these songs and we have these dreams and it doesn't seem to be getting any better. Maybe it's getting worse. It's into that mindset, into that dream, into that vision that Isaiah 11 speaks to us. In in this 11th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy, he talks about what the world is going to be like on that day. The day when God ushers in this kingdom in all of its fullness. The day when, when Jesus reappears. The day when everything is put to right. It's a pretty amazing vision. talks about what's going to happen with creation. How these animals that we call natural enemies get along with each other. He paints a picture of children playing by the nests of snakes... And not being harmed. It's a pretty amazing image when you look at it. What strikes me about this is that it seems unexpected to me that the first thing Isaiah would speak about in this restored world is creation. i got to be honest, I would think he'd start with human beings. I think that says something to us. I think for one thing it tells us that while God loves human beings, He loves everything He creates. And God's intent for creating is not for it to be destroyed. He creates for it to flourish. And that all of creation is important to God. And God's design is to restore all of creation to what He intended it. I think there is something about the fact that until creation is right, it seems pretty difficult for anything else to be right. I mean, how, could, how can relationships be right when, there is, when all of creation is still in chaos? But once creation is made right by God, then the atmosphere is there for relationships to be right. And I think there is something about that as well. But he isn't just talking about creation. He also talks about the nations. And he writes in verse 10 about how this one who is to come is going to be a banner for all the nations, welcoming them to the mountain of God, to his glorious land, to his glorious place. And that, that word banner, it also is sometimes translated signal. And I have in my mind this great big flashing neon billboard. Here I am. Come on. I want you. I love you. I care for you. And we are reminded again that God created all people to be in relationship with him. Being in relationship with him is not something God designs for a select few people. This is God's dream, his plan, his design for all of creation. All people. Every nation. Now, not everyone is going to choose it. Not everyone wants it. But it's not because God doesn't offer it. It's not because God doesn't want everyone and welcome everyone, because he does. And the nations, Isaiah says, will flock to God's glorious place. They will come. And I think part of what's going to happen is all of a sudden their eyes are going to be open to who God is. And when we get a glimpse of who God is, it changes our perspective about God. The reason so many people reject God is because their only image of God is skewed. And let's be honest, often that skewed image is because of us. And on that, on that day, everyone will have a clear image of God. They'll see Him for who He is. And they will understand that it is God's desire for all people. To come to him. His invitation is to all people. And that ought to say something to us now. And just as restoring creation ought to tell us that taking care of creation is important. It also ought to tell us that how, about how we value people who are different from us. That we want to be beacons of light to help people see who God is. And that, and that starts with valuing people the way God does. I mean, we live in a world and we are not immune from this who tend to look down on people who may be from certain nations or maybe of certain races or maybe of certain whatever and we look down on them and one of the ways that i know in my heart that i get convicted about that is when i when i start thinking there really isn't much of anything that that person can teach me There's nothing that that person could teach me now. I could teach them a whole lot. And what's the underlying idea? I'm better than them. I'm more valuable than they are. And Isaiah is telling us that's not a God perspective. That's a skewed human perspective. And on that day, that's going to change. And everyone will see that they have value and worth in the eyes of God. And then he gets to his people. And in the last four or five verses, he talks about Judah and Israel, these two nations that had a civil war in the ninth century, and divided from one another, and have been enemies since then. And they became such enemies that, that they, they hated each other. The Northern Kingdom of Israel was eventually destroyed by Assyria, captured, and much of the land was was taken by them. and Assyria's battle strategy was they would they would invade a land, conquer it, and they would take about two thirds of the people and replant them in all kinds of other nations of the world, and then they would take people from all those nations and replant them into the nation they just conquered. So what you ended up with, the northern kingdom of Israel, ended up being a, a group of people from all kinds of nations. And they, and they became a, a mixed race. And to the southern kingdom of Judah, that meant they were unholy people. And they were less valuable, and they were unimportant, and they were enemies. And so you come to the New Testament, and you have these, that group of people from the north. They are the Samaritans of the New Testament. And they, it's their land that, that people will walk miles around so they don't walk through it. And Isaiah says, all that animosity is going to be healed. Think about the ways that we divide ourselves. Even in the church, Republicans and Democrats, Calvinists and Arminians. All these ways that we divide ourselves are going to, to melt away because our focus is going to be off us onto Jesus. And when you know who God is and your focus is on Jesus, all of a sudden, all these differences become a lot less important. And we stop being hostile toward each other. We may, you know, we we still can disagree about things. That's how we challenge each other and sharpen each other. But it's not in a spirit of hostility. We still see and understand that there's a brother or a sister. And we love each other even if we disagree. Because our focus is on Jesus. Jesus. Now, this restoration that Isaiah describes in verses 6 and following takes place because of what he says in verses 1 to 5. And in verses 1 to 5, he talks about this shoot that will come up out of the root of Jesse. And this shoot is the one that makes all the difference. The messenger of God, the Messiah, Jesus. When he comes, all of this is going to change. He, and what makes the difference is that he comes with the Spirit resting upon him. And that word to rest it is not a temporary thing. It is There is permanence to it. it is, the Spirit comes and lives and dwells and, and and has overtaken every part of his being so that as he lives in this world, he is the image of God, as John tells us. He is the Word made flesh who is dwelling among us. And it's His presence that changes all of this because the Spirit rests on Him. If ever we are going to be a witness for Christ, it has to be because the Spirit rests on us. Because we want the Spirit. We are open to the Spirit. We desire the Spirit to change us and transform us and live in us and work in us. But this unique one who comes is going to be the agent of restoration. And I love what it says in verse 3. It talks about how He... He delights in obedience. That might be the most profound thing about this whole passage. He delights in obedience. Because just be honest, most of us don't delight in obedience. In fact, for most of us, obedience is a negative word more than a positive word. We have to teach our children to obey. Because it doesn't come naturally to us. We obey because there are laws. We obey because... You know, we obey the speed limit because we're pretty sure around the next curve there might be a cop sitting there in the median. We obey because there are consequences. Whereas Isaiah says, this one who comes, he obeys because he finds delight in it. He loves doing it. It is joy to him to obey. Why is that? Because he knows who God is. And he recognizes that anything God wants is for him, anything that God may direct him to do is always in the very best interests of him and everybody else. I think we sometimes think that we see obedience as as giving up something that we think is inherently good in order to obey something that do something that we really believe is inherently bad. I like what I'm doing. I like making these decisions. I like following this path. I don't want to obey because to obey means I have to give up all of this. What Scripture keeps telling us over and over again, what we see in Jesus, is that the only reason God asks us to obey and the only reason God presents the law to Israel is because it's in their best interest. It is moving them from death to life. And all these things that seem so awesome to us are actually leading us to death and destruction. And God wants us to move toward life and flourishing. It's hard for us to see it when we're in the middle of it. But this is the, we know this is true because that's who God is. God is good and compassionate and loving and full of truth and mercy and grace. And he wants nothing more for us than to see us flourish doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that life is going to be, not be without sacrifice. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to struggle and suffer. God's people have done that through the ages. But obedience always leads us to God's very best. For us and for the people in our lives. for this world. It's what we see in Jesus. And if we could come to the place where we could get such a vision of God that we delighted in obedience, it would change our lives. I'm convinced of that. And then he says in verses 3, 4, and 5, he says that not only does he delight in obeying the Lord, but he will not judge by appearance or make a decision based on hearsay, but he gives justice to the poor, makes fair decisions for the exploited. And he has such power that the earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. And he will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. This is not so much the result of who he is as just who he is. Justice, righteousness, caring for people. The power that is a part of his presence. This is just sort of the DNA of who Jesus is. Because it's the DNA of who God is. God always moves toward justice and righteousness. God can do nothing else but what is just and righteous. And, and, and when we talk about God's justice and we talk about God's righteousness, I think sometimes we, we see justice and righteousness as sort of two sides of a circle. We think of justice as, as God's work in the, the social nature of the world. And sometimes, quite frankly, people look at that negatively. And when we think about righteousness, I think we have a tendency to think of that as, as the spiritual dimension of the world. ...of the world and of our lives. And some people, you know, they're all about the righteousness. They're all about the spiritual dimension. And some people are all about the justice. They're all about the social dimension. And, and we sort of feel like, well, we just, we just live in the paradox of that. And we live in the dichotomy of that. And so we have this circle and we have it split down the middle. And we have two sides to it. But I don't think that's, I don't think that's right. Think, think of it this way. I'm not a baker... But I mean, I can I can read the directions on a box like anybody else can to make a cake. But I'm, I don't. If any ever cake that I've ever made, I didn't start from scratch. But if you make a cake from scratch, you have dry ingredients and you have wet ingredients. What if you took those two ingredients and you put a little divider in a pan and you put the dry ingredients on one side and the wet ingredients on the other side, the eggs and the milk and Water and you put the flour and salt and sugar on this side, and you put that in the oven. I got to be honest with you. I don't think I want to eat that cake. I'm just saying. I don't think I want to eat that. Because that's not how you make a cake. What do you do? You take those wet ingredients, the dry ingredients, you dump them into a bowl and you mix them up, and you and you only and you keep mixing until the batter, the dry and the wet ingredients are are. are you can't discern the difference between them. And then you take that out and you pour it into the pan, you put that in the oven, and that's a cake we want to eat. I think there's something of that in the nature of God, that righteousness and justice are not two sides of who God is, just as love and wrath are not two sides of who God is, or grace and truth are not two sides of who God is. It's, it's all together. It is just the nature, the DNA of who God is. And when God acts in justice, he's acting in righteousness. And when God acts in righteousness, he's acting in justice. It is all together. And I have a feeling that's what God wants for us. That the Spirit would so fill us that righteousness and justice and truth and grace and all the dynamics of of who God is would just become a part of us. Like the batter for a cake. And we don't discern between whether we're thinking about justice or we're thinking about righteousness or we're thinking about wrath or love. We're just thinking about the nature of God. And so when God here talks about what he's going to do to Assyria and the judgment of God, he's not acting in wrath as opposed to love. He's acting in wrath in love because he can do nothing else. It's who he is. Every time God speaks judgment against Israel, it, it's, because, it, it's out of a heart of love because he recognizes they're going in a direction of destruction and he doesn't want them to be destroyed. He wants them to flourish. And so often the only way you can get their attention is to bring some kind of judgment on them that will awaken them. And God does the same thing with us. God's judgment is not vengeance. It's love. And God's love does not ignore evil. It is judgment and justice. It's one of the things that you see in this passage when he talks about justice. It is is—it is not ignoring evil. Justice is addressing evil. And we think in our world that people think, well, we're going to address evil. No one takes evil more seriously than God does. Because no one knows the pain and the anguish and the destruction that evil causes like God does. And Jesus comes to bring an end to that. And his justice is addressing the evil of sin and the consequences of sin and the hurt and the pain and the agony. And he talks here about, about people who live in poverty and are ignored and people who are exploited. And God comes to address that. Because it's his nature. What surprises me about this whole thing is that God is going to do all of this through a little shoot that comes up out of a tree stump. I think if I were planning this thing, I wouldn't have I I wouldn't design it as a as a shoot out of a tree stump. I'd bring in a big tree. I mean, if, we're going to use, if you're going to use that analogy, I would say let's bring in a big tree because a big tree is impressive and inspiring and it's got weight and power and strength. I mean, who among us has ever, have you ever gone out of your way on a vacation to visit the Green Shoots National Forest? No, we go, to the, we go to the Sequoia National Forest and the Redwoods National Forest, like the picture here. These awesome, amazingly huge trees that just scream power and might. I mean, what do you, how, how do you even cut down a tree like that? How do you deal with it? You can't. It's power. And I think if I were designing this plan, the strategy of God's, I would want to bring in the big guns as much as possible. There's something inherently sneaky about a shoot. No one pays that much attention. But God loves to work in unexpected ways. Just look at the Christmas story. I mean, everything that happens is unexpected. Who would have dreamed, who would have guessed that God's plan for redeeming and restoring his creation would be through a baby? A helpless infant. And that that baby would be born not to royalty and power, but to commoners. And that the means of this baby being born would imply... That the baby's mother is pregnant and not married. And that the baby is born and placed in a manger. The only witnesses of the birth are probably animals. And when God says, all right, let's get the word out about this birth, who does he go to? The group of people who are probably as much of the outcasts of that society as anybody else, shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Nobody listens to shepherds. And when people with any kind of, of wealth show up, they're pagan astrologers. And who would have guessed that those pagan astrologers pay more attention to this baby than the men who know all of the words about, all the prophecies about this baby like the back of their hand. Unexpected. It makes me wonder... God isn't speaking into our lives about working through us in common, everyday, unexpected ways. This image that Isaiah paints of that day to come, of God's kingdom and all of its glory, is an image that you and I have been given the privilege and the responsibility of, of being agents of glimpsing that kingdom here on earth. We pray, as Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And one of the ways we do that is to be agents of restoration in this world. To help people understand that this is what the kingdom looks like. I know sometimes we give you the impression it looks like this, but really it looks like this. This is who God is. This is what God desires. This is what God wants to do. And we are sorry that we so often present an image to you of a kingdom that is less than that. But this is what we want you to see. We want you to see who Jesus is. And I think most of the time we have this sense that 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 is going to come through profound Earth shattering ways. And every so often, God does put His hand on the life of someone to put them in that kind of a position. Every so often, you get a Desmond Tutu or a Mother Teresa or a Billy Graham. But most of us are just called to live our lives every day and to be agents of restoration with our family, our neighbors. Our co-workers. And yes, to the world. That's why we are doing this whole refugee project. But you look at that. You look at, I mean, last time we collected about $3,000. It's not even a drop in the bucket compared to what could be, what's needed. But that's not really the point. The point is we're doing what God is calling us to do. And that's all we can do. We live in a world where we. It feels sometimes like it's just hopeless. It's never going to be any different. Never going to be any better. Isaiah is telling us, yes, yes, because of Jesus. And because of Jesus in us. And the call on us is to live our lives with such openness to Jesus that the Spirit can fill us and actually make us agents of hope and healing and restoration and grace. So this morning, I want, I guess I just want you to see the vision of what God wants to do. The vision of the kingdom to come and the vision of God using us to give people glimpses of that kingdom. through the grace of the one who has come and is coming again. Holy Father, thank you for the privilege and the responsibility to be agents of healing and restoration. Help us, Father, to embrace that because we've we've been filled with your Spirit. Lord, this morning we pray not only for ourselves but for this world in which we live. We think of of refugees and pray that you will bring help to them and that you would end conflicts and wars and oppression and terrorism that will allow them to go back to their homes in safety. We pray, Father, for, for your church around the world. We thank you for the ministry of Wycliffe Bible Translators on the, on the cusp of 75 years of putting the scriptures in the, the vernacular of people all over the world. It changes so much of how they understand you. And we pray that their ministry will continue and multiply and grow until every person can read and hear the, lang- the scriptures in their own language, their heart language. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in difficult places And we pray for uh, the the ministry of the church in East Africa and think of these two cousins who have have come to faith in you and are are facing difficulties because of that. We pray you'd bless their lives and help them. Father, we pray you'll continue to work in our nation to bring healing where there is so much division. We pray for churches around us. And we think of the Brookside Wesleyan Church in Wellsville and Pastor Robin George. May your mercy and grace be upon them and all that they do and all that they are. Be glorified to to draw them to you in your love that they may be a witness for you. And we pray for the needs right here in our church. We pray for the family of Blanche Weaver. Comfort them in their grief and for others who are grieving. We pray, Father, for those struggling with health issues. We pray for Daryl Stevenson, Carol Stonemetz, for Ben King and David Hartley and Mildred Berry and Doris Hosepian, for Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Laurel Bucher and Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey and Phil Muecher, Mike Raybuck, Beverett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Cricklar and others, bring healing to them through your mercy and grace. Father, we thank you for your grace, your peace, your vision, your desires for your world that you love. Glorify it as you are present in all of it. And we ask this through Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Whispers that hope is alive Oh, joy to the world on this holy night
2: So sing with the angels that fill up the sky Heaven broke through and now hope is alive He is right here among us Our God is with us tonight hope is alive out of the stable beneath the bright stars a young mother is holding her son oh the beauty of feeling the beat of God's heart it tells us that we're not alone oh Emmanuel God, God is with, is with us tonight. Sky, those in the shadows have seen a great light. He is right here among us. Our God is with us tonight. Sing with us. Tears are falling, hearts are breaking.
0: How we need
2: to hear from God. You've been promised, we've been waiting. Welcome, holy child, welcome, holy child. Hope that you don't mind our manger, how I wish we would have known. But long-awaited, holy stranger, make yourself at home. Please make yourself at home Bring your peace into our violence Bid our hungry souls be held Word now breaking, hell and silence Welcome to our world Welcome to our world Fragile fingers sent to heal us Tender brow prepared for thorn Tiny heart whose blood will save us Unto us is born Unto us is home. So wrap our injured flesh around you. around you, breathe our air and walk our side, rob our sin and, and make us holy, perfect Son of God, perfect Son of God. Welcome to our world.
3: Receive the benediction. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.
2: Amen.